Thank you, worship team. Good morning, Sunridge. How are you doing today? Feeling pretty good? Recovered from your L-tryptophan-induced food coma from Thursday? I'm assuming you had a great Thanksgiving. It's my favorite holiday, but as you can see here at Sunridge, we have moved on appropriately. It's almost December. It looks great. I want to thank Katie Haugen and Heidi Fatter and all the people that stayed last week to decorate while I was out playing flag football. So thank you so much for doing that so I could play flag football. My name is Jed. It's a privilege to serve as one of our pastors on staff here. And if you are a guest with us this morning or you're visiting for this holiday weekend, we would like to thank you for joining us. And we hope that this is the first of many. We are in a series called Greater Things. where We have been looking at the words of Jesus from John chapter 14, verse 21, where he says, anyone who believes in me will do what? Greater things than I. What a profound, bold statement by Jesus. What does that mean? How does that make any sense? Well, when I look at the life of Jesus, when I see his words, when I see what he is doing, and when I think about this sermon today, I'd like to title it, Great Isn't Predictable. Because when I see Jesus and I read of him, everything that he is doing, it seems, is consistently surprising, consistently unexpected. Now, here's the reality. Predictability and expected outcomes are important, yes? When you stepped out of bed this morning, I assume you weren't fearful of what kind of floor you were going to step onto. And when you walked towards your bathroom door and you grabbed the handle and you turned it left, it opened. The door didn't come unhinged. You weren't fearful of what was on the other side. And when you grabbed your toothbrush and you put the toothpaste on it, I'm assuming you weren't fearful of what flavor you were going to get when you stuck that brush in your mouth. I'm hoping you brushed your teeth this morning. (laughs) Predictability is huge. It's essential for all of us each day. It's an important component of business models. It's essential to relationships. It can make or break your experience in this world. But when I think about the moments that leave us at a loss for words or conversely give us so much that we want to share, more often than not, those things did not come because we knew they were happening. In fact, they probably were unanticipated, unexpected. We couldn't have seen it coming. And Jesus himself, again, is filled with moments like that for his disciples and those around him. And in Matthew chapter 18, if you have your Bible, you can turn there. If not, it's going to be up on the screens. We see this moment. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a child whom he put among them and said, Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever becomes humble like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. You don't have all the time in the world to go into the cultural implications of this moment. But historians do tell us that at that time, children were non-persons essentially in this Greco-Roman society. They didn't have intrinsic value or worth. Some of you love your kids so much that you fill your feeds with pictures of them, and rightly so. You have cute kids, I assume, at least. But kids back at that time did not have the type of worth and values that we ascribe to children today. 
And so for Jesus to take a child and place it before the crowd, prompted by the question of who is the greatest none the least, would have been a culturally counterintuitive, audacious thing. But there's not just a cultural implication. I'd like to remind you that if you're sitting in this room today as an adult, at one point in time, you were a child. And as a child, you craved to be known. You craved to be noticed. And if you weren't wondering about those things, and we can thank the fact that you had people around you that were supplying you with those basic needs as a human being. But Jesus, as he presents this child, he's setting forth something that pushes throughout the centuries that we need to be reminded of again today. There's something about kids. And when his brother James later on in his life writes to the other Christian church and says this in James chapter 1, verse 27, religion that is true and undefiled before God the Father is this, to take care of the orphans and the widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. I can guarantee you that he would have remembered moments like that which we saw in Matthew 18 where he was surprised that his brother Jesus would bring about a child. And we know at that point in history that kids, because of their lack of value, they actually could be left to be exposed to the elements. They could be left out to be orphaned, expecting that they would die. And it was the church, the first church, that revolutionized this movement of taking orphans in and caring for them. But instead of me speaking to you today about what we find here, I think there's something greater there's something greater than me just sharing. You see, a few weeks ago, Britt and I had the opportunity to sit with a handful of our families that go here to Sunridge, and they're a small sample of many others. But they have remarkable stories, and they're doing greater things. And today, as you watch these videos, thank God you don't have to hear me talk any longer. I hope and pray that you would listen intently and if you feel God moving or nudging or prompting you, you would not ignore what he may be inviting you to do. Let's take a look at the screens. The thought of, you know, bringing more kids into our home was overwhelming. The car thing is like, was big. Or the house thing was big. You know, just, or how many jobs do I have to have to make this happen? You know what I mean? It's just <laughs> So I'm Kara, this is Jared, we're the Lapines. Um, we've been married for 18 years, we have six kids, and our four oldest are our biological kids, and then we have two younger that are our foster sons as of right now, but we're almost about to adopt both of them. We both kind of always had a heart for kids that didn't have families and, and homes and needed safety and security and just the basic needs. And then we went and we just kept having our own kids. And so we had four of our own and we were, we were kind of maxed out. Like we felt like, like this is a lot of people that we're responsible for. And, um, but I just kept having this like nagging feeling in my heart. Like why, why would you put this feeling in my heart if I'm not supposed to, have um, more kids come into our home. And so I just kind of kept, we kept talking about it and Jared was open to talking about it and good about hearing my heart and like validating my heart, like, you know, 
that's amazing that that's on your heart. But then he would be like, but yeah, that's a yeah, lot. You know. time, my profession as a project manager, I look at everything as like manageable risk analysis, all these things, <laughs> like scheduling and budget and all these things, and none of that stuff lined up. Yeah. None of it. So yeah, it never does. Her, her, her heart for you know the, the kids that don't have the, the basic necessities of a home and all that good stuff didn't line up with what I thought um, would work for us. So we, I struggled with that one. Um, but, you know, I had to do my part as the husband and listening to, to the Lord um, with her prodding, you know, and just telling her heart all the time that this is what she really wanted to do. One of the things that we um, learned as we got into foster care is the foster children that were coming into our home were not first generation mm-hmm. foster children. Uh, mm-hmm. Typically, we would find that, you know, they're second and third generation. They, you know, fully in uh, CPS. And so um, um, it became our moniker as we got into foster care, if we could just break that cycle mm-hmm. with, with one child. Hey, we're the Ruckles, Danny and Marlis. We have 10 children, three biological, seven adopted, aging, ranging in aging. <laughs> <laughs> ranging in ages 44 to 11. Back in, uh, in the 80s, um, we, we were very involved in the pro-life movement, and um, we, uh, as we became more and more involved, we began to consider how we could practically do something for the pro-life movement. And so what we did was we opened our home to uh, women who had a problem with pregnancy and wanted an option other than abortion. And uh, that's really what kind of kicked everything off. Right. Um, soon after that, um, we became aware of uh, children's needs in Romania. Marlis was looking for a, a European getaway uh, on her own. And so uh, a two-week stint in Romania became a two-month uh, summer vacation, uh, battling courts and finding parents and all sorts of stuff that was ended up being more difficult than we had anticipated. And um, a few months later, we had two children. Mar- she didn't bring two children home. She came home without the children, and we continued to pursue adoption um, with other resources in Romania. I was single, never got married, and so when I was 40, I just felt like, okay, one parent is probably better than no parent for them. So that's why I think I went into it going, I love kids. and. Am I adequate enough to do it by myself? I wasn't sure, and that's where God just said, you know what, you gotta trust me. I am Janine Harris, and I'm single, and I have adopted two children, uh, Noah, who's almost six, and Azalea, who just turned four. I grew up um, in a church where we had lots of people that had foster kids or adoption. I actually never met my real father until I was 20, because he had gave us up for adoption. Still live with my mom, but, they split, so I never met him till I was older. So um, always had a, a, a heart for it, I'm wanting to. I, I'm a teacher. I love kids, so for me, um, I see kids come and go in the classroom. And I always feel so bad when they are in the foster system and they just get uprooted because now they're going somewhere else, and it's just like, oh, so sad because you know they're going somewhere hopefully good, but at the same time, what they've known for these few months or years now is being uprooted. Going from three to five kids is hard. So we just 
decided like, okay, well, why not them and why not us? And we just need to jump forward and like, what is faith good for except for doing something that you're not ready to do? Uh, I'm Craig Winger. Uh, this is my wife, Julianne Winger. And uh, we have six kids. Three of them are biological and three of them are adopted. And they're all mixed in there in ages between nine and four years old. I substituted for a behavioral class in middle school and um, there's one kid being picked on and I asked the aide, I'm like, why is that kid, why is he getting picked on amid this class of like abnormal kids, you know? So why is he getting picked on? And the aide was like, oh, he's in a group home. And that just like blew me away because I was like, he just needs family. That's the only reason why he's in this situation is because he needs family. And so that's when I knew, like, I wanted to take care of him. And I honestly, as a, I was in a dorm, and I was like, can he live with me in a dorm? I mean, I'm technically an adult. Can I, can I do that? And I decided to wait till I got married. <laughs> I think it worked out in that regard because yeah, it is hard. Mm-hmm. It is hard. Yeah, and I think for, I think I, I had a heart for adoption and probably started in college as well. Just looking around the world and just seeing, like, wow, there's so many kids out there that need people, you know? But I always assumed that it was going to be international um, for myself, and I thought it would be after my other kids had grown up. You know, I figured I was going to have kids, they were going to grow up, and then then we would, you know, jump in it when our other kids were older. Um, and so when we both met each other and we both had a heart for adoption, then it kind of felt like, well, this is probably something that God's put on our hearts for a reason. I think when you asked, like, what was your first step, I was like, oh, for a long time we did nothing. We just kind of waited and thought and prayed and talked and I, I part of me wishes we hadn't for so long but then we finally just kind of started taking one step at a time like you were saying as far as like um okay I'm just gonna ask people about agencies okay I'm just gonna call an agency and even that was such a big step of like like who are these people on the other line like what do they really do like I didn't really know anything and um but it was just that one step of like okay well let's call okay well Let's, and then he, you know, Jared still was in a place where he was like, I don't think so. And so I was like, well, why don't we just go to the first like informational meeting and we'll just see, like, we'll just get information so that we can make an educated choice about like what we're going to do. And I remember driving home from the first meeting, the informational meeting, um, you were like all in. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. Hmm. It was, it was really surreal. It was my birthday, and I'm, I'm spending the entire day in a room full of people that I don't know watching a slideshow that was, you know, not this professional thing. I mean, we're dealing with people that have a lot of money, so they're putting together the slideshow or watching this thing, but it was super impactful. I think um, just the thought of living in this country that we live in and having that many kids that don't have the bare necessities. Is, was mind-boggling because as we're driving home and we're talking about it and I was blown away by myself like being moved as much because I'm not very I don't cry a lot I don't get super emotional about that kind of stuff but it really rocked me harder than I thought it could possibly be. We went to this there was an opportunity to do this program called Welcome Home through ICA um, and it was kind of late in the game and Julianne's like well they're doing this like should I just email and say we're interested and see what happens and I was like uh, I don't, I don't know. I sure. <laughs> she's like, okay, so we email. And she's like, if nothing happens, it's not a big deal. It's no commitment, you know. You're just hosting them for a week. You don't have to take them or anything. And they gave us two profiles, and to look at. And they said, sure. Like we weren't ready. We weren't completed with all our stuff yet. But you don't need to be completed with that stuff to do this program. And so you have them for a week, and 
One of, the pro one of the profiles had two kids and then a baby, and the other one just had two two siblings, and then they had an older sibling, but he wasn't attached with them. You don't you, you don't tell them that there's even a possibility you're adopting them, and like they have to go back, like they're not they're not staying with you. So, but when they went back, it was like we're not adopting these children. That's like the, at, at that point, that's what that's what we had told ourselves. Like we we told ICA, yeah, we're not planning on it. Then like a couple days later, they had like the follow up, and by that point, like God had changed our hearts to like. No, you know what, we are. So like, it took a few days. You know, I cried, I don't cry very much at all. You can ask my wife. Yeah, so. I'm not a crier, but uh, but I cried like a baby. So over the whole process when it, was, when it was going down, so. I tell them, you know, they're adopted. I mean, they, like I said, they think they just go to the hospital and get babies, but they, you know, I think they know that, you know, they have their mama out there and we talk about her all the time. She's in Mike since I got to meet her with Azalea's birth that um, we're able to have a picture of her. So we can always look at her and say, you know, hopefully one day you'll get to meet her. Um, you know, I want them to understand that, you know, she loved them. She's her first family. I'm the second family. Even though I had them since the birth, she kept them alive because she wanted them to have a family and have a life. So she just didn't abort or whatever. For her, she wanted them to have this. So I don't think she's I want to respect her in that way and just let her know that I'm taking care of these kids. They're my kids, but they're also hers and that she is that first family. And so that's for me always a challenge because I don't want them to, you know, forget that. But also I know it's going to be a challenge, especially later on in life, coming to that grips of, well, when do we get to meet her? When do we, I have sister and brothers, you know, and trying to figure those things out and I don't know any information. And well, when you're 18, you know, so I said, when you're 18, we can look it up, but you know, it's. How many years is that? It's a long time. So it's a long time to wait for that. Um, I think, like, overall, a really big challenge has just been seeing my own sin in loving them because I don't do it very well, and I'm I, I know that I'm I am better because of this adoption process, but I can see so much more of my own sin, and then just coming to grips with that. I remember telling our newest son. I'm telling him in his room, I am the best thing that's ever happened to you. And then I leave the room and I'm like, oh, God is the best thing that's happened to you. And I need, I need some help. The hardest thing was overcoming like my own fear. The same fear just resurfaced again with Kylon when we were talking about bringing him in. Like because of his behaviors, everybody told us like, you should not take this child. Like everybody. Like all the professionals, foster parents. I mean, even our, our, I mean, our family workers. didn't say it directly to us, but you could tell that they were like <laughs> nervous about it, you know. Uh, but it's like you should not take. You got other little kids in your house, like this. There's like, not a good idea. But I just felt like God's telling me I need to do this, you know. So who do I listen to? Do I listen to God, or do we listen to God, or do we listen to all the experts that are telling us don't do this, you know? Um, and so that, that that fear is like, what what does happen if he get? I mean gets violent against our children, like our other children that we have in the house already. Like, um, so there was all kinds of that fear that was in there for us. And, um, but we did it because I said like, if basically if our God's not big enough and God to do this, totally came through. I just like, he sees the situation and he's like, just, just go, just leap. And you'll see, I got it. Like totally have it. Like he, this, our newest son just needed to know he was normal just needed a family. He does have a lot of those um, behaviors that surface, but now he's not ever targeting his siblings. Like never, he doesn't ever target his siblings. And um, 
he was in a behavioral class in school. <laughs> they had no idea how to deal with him. And I, I remember sitting on my, in my bathroom and I was like, how, God, I don't want to bring him home for homeschooling. Like, I don't want to do it. And, um, and God just knew, like, you take that leap and I got it. He's going to be a better kid. And um, even though, like, I did not want to do it, but bringing him home, making him feel normal was, like, so good for him. So even he has to take his medicine while getting all the other kids to take vitamins made it be like, oh, everybody's taking vitamins. All right, no big deal. <laughs> you know, so he, it's just amazing. Like, nobody thought that he would do well in our house. And now, like, these three kids are back together again after four years being separated. And I just love how God... We, we were a cool family. I like understood how to do multiple kids by this time. And then Kailan comes in and our whole family dynamic just changes. And it's so much better because of this kid that nobody wanted to give us and that nobody knew like what he was capable of. We had two kids that didn't speak our language. They'd never been in a car before, so they were car sick whenever they got in a car. Um, they hated seat belts. They thought they were um, what do they call them? Um, straight jackets. Yeah. yeah, they saw them as straight jackets. They, my son, my, my, Isabella couldn't take them off. She would just sit there and not like it. But Isidore would take it off and try to get out of the car because he thought we were restraining him. So so many cultural challenges we've met. We had no idea we would. Well, they were special needs kids, too. So there And <laughs> we didn't know some, anything about that either at the time. There were some pretty serious doctor bills and dental bills that needed to be uh, needed to be paid for and um, yeah we had, we had folks that stepped up and, and helped it make that happen. I feel like I have like layers of challenges right like there's like the behavioral stuff and then there's like it's all the way down to but yeah I mean the challenges for our kids coming in a huge challenge for me from the very beginning was getting over the hurdle of my kids getting hurt because I knew kids would probably come and go, and then, but my biological kids would get, I knew I would be attached, of course, mm -hmm. but like I, you know, I trusted that I would do okay. But like with my kids, I, I worried about like hurting them. And that was a huge um, thing that other people gave us a roadblock about too. Like, this isn't okay, like, because you're gonna hurt your kids. And that felt, like that felt terrible to think like people think we're like trying to hurt our kids you know and um and we really had to trust god with that like we really had to trust that our hearts would get broken but that he would he would mend them that, that like that was actually something he was going to do and i had to like give my kids um hearts over to him and just kind of like be like okay like i trust you if you're calling us to this you will be enough for you know, all of my kids. I think some little stories. It's hard to bond with an older girl. She's mm -hmm. seven when we got her. She, she and her brother had been in foster care for five years, failed adoptions, and she just didn't think that it was going to happen. So bonding with her is hard. Um, we just clash. They know how to push buttons, right? Mm -hmm. But then going to the ocean and going further out in the waves and jumping the waves with her, and seeing like the joy on her face and that I'm like looking at her and like, you're my girl, you're my girl. And that was like such a fun moment. 
Um, we need to go to the beach more often because <laughs> uh, there's still hard times in the meantime. But then just to have that moment to isolate it and be like, yes, God made you for me. And in essence, like I dreamed about you before I dreamed about having my own kids because I wanted to adopt. And um, so that that's a joy. I think when you begin to see your child trust you, no, I'm not going to be able to talk. Mm. Maybe you can finish. It's just it's because they come into your home so afraid and hard sometimes, and you can just see little things happen when they trust you and they believe that what you say is going to happen is really going to happen. It's, it's amazing. I don't know how else to explain it, but you they come in with these little shells around them and they don't get excited about things because they don't think they're going to happen and they don't believe anything you say. And just seeing one, like you're talking about, layers coming off. You see layers, you know, one at a time come off, and that's really a great thing. My joy is always, I always say, you know, everybody's like, he's got such a great arm. I said, I don't care if he's a great baseball player. He's going to do something amazing for God. That's what I wish for Noah. And I wish that is going to carry over this biological family. Because, you know, I mean, like I said, I hope one day he gets to meet them and get to see what's going to happen in their lives. And that's the change I want to see. That's what I want to see, that they have faith and that even that his mom, if she got cleaned up, then I just tell her, you know, you're going to make a difference too. You've made a difference in these kids' lives already by giving them to me, allowing me to raise them for you. So that's what I, my joy is that that's going to continue and that, that, um, that they will make a difference for somebody else. We need people being out on the streets and hanging out with our kids. You know, we need the big brothers, the big sisters around to help just being friends to these kids because I think these kids don't feel normal and want to feel normal. And I think our families, we need support. Um, and I think that's just something we're called to help out and be involved in our community. And I think, you know, that's what I would ask our church to do. I mean, what I would say as far as uh, passing this message on to the church was, um, I think that we're all, if we're all trying to live in our own heads and we're thinking that we can't do something, um, no matter what it is, whether it's fostering, whatever it is in your life, if God's telling you to do something and he's putting that in your heart and he's putting that in your mind and prodding you to go somewhere, you should listen to it um, and not try to live within yourself. So I, I, I realize that our church has a lot of people in it, and I kind of said that earlier, that not everybody's equipped to do this, you know, physically able to do this or financially able to do this, they think. But if God's telling you to try it, um, at the very least, just go to uh, you know the introduction meeting or speak to somebody that's doing doing it and find out from them, get the information from them. I think um, I don't think any of us should be denying what God is asking us to do, what, what, no matter what it is. So everybody within God's church, He's He's lining you up to do something, and this just happened to be what God was asking this couple to do. I'm, what, I, what would I tell the church? Just simple. Just, just get involved. Uh, yeah, just take a step. Just get involved. There's a lot of kids needing, need, they need help. So just get involved. It doesn't have to be adoption or foster care if you can't do that. It could be just by mentoring somebody or, or helping support someone in prayer. We have a lot of friends that encouraged us through the whole way. So... Anybody can do that. Like if, if you, if anyone's just thinking like, you know, I might have a heart for this, just take some steps like we did. Just start taking steps and seeing where God will take you. Because uh, there's so many kids out there that still need homes. I think so much of what we've learned is that, that 
that pursuing our own desires didn't produce in us the same amount of joy and peace that um, stepping out and doing whatever God asked us to do has produced in our lives. And it's, it, you kind of know that, but like actually doing it, it's like another layer of really knowing, mm -hmm. knowing the joy and the peace that comes from stepping out and doing whatever it is that God's calling you to do. And for us, that was um, to open our home to kids who needed a home. And so I think as a family overall, we've learned that he's trustworthy, that we can do what he asks us to do and that he's going to show up and it's going to be better than we imagined it could be. I don't know about you, but that is just incredibly touching and impactful to me. And it'd be great to sit here and listen and feel good about that. But we wanted to make sure that for this series, for Gary Things, because every week we've had some type of opportunity to actually take a practical step, we wanted to make sure that was available to you today as well. And some of you know that my dear wife, Mallory, is an adoptions director. She works at ICA, which is right down the road. And this morning, we actually have ICA with us. So I want to invite up Lisa, our outreach director, and Jill, one of Mallory's colleagues. And uh, they're just going to spend a few moments here talking about uh, ways that you can practically step in, and then we'll conclude our service. Jill, thanks so much for being here. Let's welcome up ICA. Well, yeah, just in response to that video, we realized that we have this incredible resource right down the road. I mean, it's, it's truly a stone's throw almost. And so we wanted to invite Jill today from ICA. Jill is the chief of child and family programs there. And um, we just wanted to give her an opportunity to share a little bit about what ICA does. And also, because ICA has offered themselves as a resource to us, um, we wanted to make that available to you as well. So just to begin, do you want to tell us a little bit about your domestic adoption program? Sure, yes. Thank you, Lisa, for having us. We're so grateful to be here this morning. Um, this is National Adoption Awareness Month, November is, and so this is the perfect time to be talking about this. Um, churches around the nation are talking about this um, important issue, so we're honored to be here. Um, we have many, many different programs um, at ICA, but I did want to focus on our domestic program um, today because National Adoption Awareness Month is geared towards specifically uh, reaching the children that are here in our nation that need to be adopted. So we have a program, it's called America's Orphans, and that is our foster adopt program. And that um, is children that are in the foster care system that need to be adopted. So just to share a few stats with you, um, any given day there are um, approximately 400,000 children in our foster care system which is that number is very overwhelming if you think about it. Um, within the 400,000 children, there are um, a little bit over 100,000 that need to be adopted. So these are children, um, you know, they've been in the system for a little while, um, at least a year, but the average is about two and a half years that they've been in the system. Um, they're just kind of languishing there and they need adoptive homes, they need permanent homes. Um, because we all know that children 
children, um, you know, are not to be raised in a system, right? We know um, that God designed family. Children are to be raised in families. So um, these children need to be adopted out of the system. And so our America's Orphans uh, programs focuses on that. To break it down a little bit more, um, there's about 13,000 in California alone that need to be adopted. And then if we take it all the way down to Riverside County, on any given day, there's about 100 that need to be adopted. So that just kind of gives you an idea of the need. There's a great need uh, for families um, to step forward and provide these homes. Um, the average age of the child that's waiting to be adopted is seven, so there's a lot of school-aged children um, that need to be adopted. Of course, there's also a lot of teenagers um, that need um, homes. We always educate families that even that 17-year-old needs to be adopted. Uh, they need a forever family. They need to be able to um, have someone help launch them um, you know, into adulthood and college. And they need a home. They need to be able to come home for Christmas and Thanksgiving. So even those, those teenagers need, they, they need those permanent homes. Um, also, we see a lot of sibling sets. Um, a lot of um, two, three, four, five, uh, six uh, children um, that, you know, they need to stay together. Siblings need to be together. So we see a big need for that. Um, a lot of children um, with special needs, uh, whether it's medical issues, developmental delays, behavioral issues, emotional um, so definitely a lot of children with special needs. We also see a lot of boys. There are a lot of boys that need to be adopted um, for some reason, more boys than girls. Um, so that's a big need as well, just to kind of give you an idea. Uh, what we do as an agency is, um, you know, we recruit families, we take you through an assessment process, we provide training. Training is very important. Um, we're very, very big on uh, what we say is that we want you to go into this process with eyes wide open. We want you to know what you're stepping into, so we spend a lot of time um, training um, specifically what we call trauma-informed training um, because heartbreakingly um, all the children um, in the system they have been traumatized um, you know to one degree or another they are traumatized children and so they do come you know with their own set of special um, issues and challenges that they're facing so as families we have to be trauma-informed we have to be ready to um, help them in the healing process which is one of the beautiful things that we get to come alongside them and we get to be part of that healing process um, that healing journey so that is a beautiful thing but it's tough it's it's hard work as you heard from these families this morning uh, there's the ups and the downs uh, the good days and the bad days um, so as an agency our role is to be your advocate um, to be there um, you know right beside you supporting you helping you navigate the system it's a complicated uh, child welfare system so we're there to um, help you navigate that and, um, yeah, just be part of your support system. Support is uh, very, very important. Um, again, as you heard from the families uh, this morning, um, you know, you, you need a wide support system um, going into this. Um, yeah, so I would say that, that America's Orphans is, is a big, big need, for sure, for families to step up. So Jared touched on it a little bit in the video. Not all of us here are equipped right. or called to adopt. So right. what are some other things that we can be doing to help make a difference? Right, right. That's a good question. And we get that a lot. 
um, if you don't necessarily feel that God's calling you to adopt or foster, and that's okay. You know, we always want to let families know that not everybody um, is called to adopt or foster, and that is okay. There are a lot of other ways <laughs> that you can help. Um, one of the biggest ones, um, like the family said, is support a family that is doing this. Um, they're the one in the trenches. They're doing the hard work. They need your support. They need your encouragement. They need your prayer. They need a lot of grace. Um, and you can also help them in very tangible ways. Um, you know, provide some meals, mow their lawn, um, uh, offer to babysit so they can get a break. So I know, um, you know, this is, like Jed said, this is just a sampling of families that you have right here in your congregation um, that you can be coming alongside and supporting them. So that's wonderful. Another way um, that we... Um, can help is um, supporting child welfare workers. Um, and, you know, as Jed said, you've got your beautiful Mallory right here in your congregation. I'm sure you have other child welfare workers here as well. Um, support them, encourage them, um, give them a hug, you know, pray for them because this is hard work. Um, we can get very weary sometimes um, in just the cases that we see um, and just the the stuff we're dealing with can get pretty heavy, um, so we definitely need your support. There's also a lot of uh, spiritual warfare that goes on um, in the work that we do, and we see that a lot, so we need prayer against um, that as well. Um, you also can get involved by just being a mentor. Um, you can offer tutoring services. Um, one way that, in fact, we're here today to show you a way that you can help is fair trade. And so right outside the doors, we have our fair trade tables set up. A lot of times people will say, why does an adoption agency, why are you promoting fair trade? Um, it is a preventative way. It's a proactive way that we can help families to stay together um, because it provides, you know, a fair wage, a safe working environment. It um, protects against child labor and trafficking. So it's, it's a very tangible way that we can help um, be proactive. Um, uh, of course, there are families, you know, that maybe need help, you know, financially. That's one thing I wanted to bring up is, you know, kind of uh, debunk that myth. A lot of people think, they hear the word adoption and they think, oh, well, I could never afford to adopt. It's too expensive. What's important to know is that adopting from the foster care system is virtually free. Uh, there are no social service or legal fees. Um, there are very, very uh, minimal costs involved um, in adopting from the foster care system. And then on top of that, there is um, government um, stipend. So there is financial aid that you receive as a family every month. We all know that children can be expensive. So uh, there is help, you know, for um, food food and clothing and school supplies and, and all that. And then even as they grow, there is um, help with college tuition. And so we just want to make sure that people understand that you can do this. We don't ever want finances, you know, to get in the way of families thinking that they can do this. Did you want to touch on your refugee program as well? Yes, thank you. <laughs> that is another way that definitely, um, if you're not necessarily feeling called to that permanency piece, uh, we do have this wonderful program. We call it the Journey of Hope. And so this program is for children um, who are, they find themselves in our country um, without um, an adult. Um, so they're unaccompanied um, refugee minors that need temporary homes. You know, they need a safe place. Um, and they're found, you know, they're here because they're running from war-torn countries, poverty, 
uh, crime, uh, trafficking. Sometimes they're here because of trafficking. And they need homes that will just open up and just be that safe haven for them um, temporarily. Uh, these children are not um, adoptable. Um, our goal as an agency is to reunify them as quickly as possible to family, uh, whether it's here in our country or back in their homeland. But they do need that temporary um, safe place. And it's just such a wonderful opportunity to really live out, um, you know, Matthew 25, or it talks about, you know, serving the least of these. I mean, this, this is it. I mean, this is like, you know, helping that weary traveler that just needs, you know, that, um, you know, home and just warm meal and just, and what a wonderful opportunity as believers to be able to, you know, show them Christ and, you know, plant some of those seeds. Um, so it's a great program that we have, and we'd love to share more about that with you. Well, speaking of which, um, Jill and the whole ICA team are here this entire morning to be resources to us. In fact, they're going to, right after this service and second service, have an informational meeting for us right over here. So if you're interested to just, you're not, you're not committing to anything. I know how scary it is just to even go and sit on that side of the room. It's a step, and I realize that, and yet it is a small step that you could take today. It's an incredible resource to have them here. You don't have to go to an additional meeting. You do, though, have additional meetings every month, yes. right? Yes, the second Tuesday of every month um, at our office at 6 p.m. We have our informational meetings where you can just learn more about all of our different programs and just get a really good overview of who we are, uh, what we're all about. Um, we always tell families that, you know, it's really important that you, you know, really feel like we're a good fit. You know, there's a lot of different agencies you can work with, but it's really important um, because you're entering um, this journey uh, where you're going to need a lot of support um, that you need to feel uh, really good about who you're working mm -hmm. with. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Sorry. And I wanted to end with um, my favorite verse. I wanted to share that with you um, that speaks to um, just God, about God's heart um, for uh, the orphans, and that's in Psalm 68, 5 through 6. And it says, Father to the fatherless, defender of widows, this is God. He dwells in his holy place. And this is my favorite part right here. God places the lonely in families. He sets the prisoners free and gives them joy. But I just love that, that the God places the lonely in families. So I just encourage you to reflect upon that. Um, just um, I urge you just to pray about how you can get involved, how you can make a difference. Um, and again, just thank you so much for, for your time. And, and um, I'm just excited to see, you know, that your church is taking the time to talk about this really important issue. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Joe. Thanks, Jill. Hey, Sunridge. Uh, if you're new here, my name's Britt. I'm one of the pastors here, too. I know you've seen a lot of people on stage today. What I love about uh, adoption and the ministry that ICA does and others is uh, we have just ordinary people. I, I'm just so glad that you got to see that there are people among you, Sunridge, that have taken what is for most of us our refuge, right, our home. That's a place where we go to retreat from everything else. And not only are they doing that, but they're opening their homes in such a huge way so that it can be a refuge for somebody that doesn't have that. You know, when we started talking about doing the Greater Things series, we said exactly what we've been talking about every week, mentioning it, that, you know, 
through greater things, we wanted to acknowledge the great challenges of our day. And there are plenty. But to move us as individuals and in the church toward God-inspired action. And I don't know how any of each one of these weeks have hit you. You know, we've, we've sent over 300 boxes around the world through Operation Christmas Child. Last week, you guys sponsored over 70 children worldwide through World Vision to make sure that they have the essentials. And, um, and now you see that there are many, many children that have found a home. You know, I can't, you can't uh, decide for somebody else what, what, is the, what is the great thing. But what I want you to get out of this series, what I want us to get out of it as a church, is that Jesus said, for those who have faith in him, they will do great things. And with all the things that we're facing in our world today, um, you know, we have choices as believers. We can, we can get depressed or we can get anxious. We can get angry and um, we can just like give up. But we have the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think that each one of us is strategically placed. You're in a place that I could never be and I'm somewhere where you're not. It's like God has something for us in this time and it's, it's, he has you. He, he has something in mind for you to do. What is your great thing? Do you have a longing in your heart to be used by God? And are you willing to step beyond your comfort zone in order for that to happen? I would ask you to prayerfully consider that. You know, next week we're going to start our Christmas series about peace on earth. And... Um, but for today, in this next mo few moments as we sing together in one last worship song, I would ask you to, to, uh, to once again be contemplating and praying and asking God, what, what is the thing you have for me? Where is the place where I can make a difference in this world today? Would you stand and join us?